What's going on, everybody? This is Lentheus Cheney with Build Your Fort Podcast. And today we've got the president and CEO of Rice Center, the Russell Innovation Center for Entrepreneurship, Mr. Jay Bailey. Mr. Bailey, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, brother. How are you? Good to be on. Doing wonderful. Thank you for, you know, taking the time out of your busy schedule to speak with us today. So want to talk a little bit about, you know, your role there at Rice. And, you know, given your background, my first question for you, there are a number of organizations in which you could have linked your talents to. However, you chose Rice. I'm wondering why. You know, I think that there are, there are very few times in life where you get to be a part of something that you are certain they will outlast you. And there are even rarer moments where you get to be a part of something that could potentially change the course of history. I was an entrepreneur in the city of Atlanta. I started my first business when I was 12 and entrepreneurship has always played a part in my life. Herman Russell was arguably one of the most prolific entrepreneurs this city ever produced. And to have the opportunity to lead a space that honored his legacy and carried forward his spirit of entrepreneurship was the kind of legacy play that I just could not say no to. One of my personal mantras is plant seeds that will grow trees whose shade you may never sit under. And I saw this an opportunity because I am one that sits in Mr. Russell's shade where I could plant a few seeds myself so the generations I may never meet get to literally have their dreams come to fruition because of what we were able to put together today. Well, you know, that leads me to my second question, in which was you've already answered it to tell you the truth. I was going to ask you what your personal motivation is for the success of Black entrepreneurs. You've explained that, but go into your professional motivation when it comes to the success of Black entrepreneurs. You know, I think that I think that we lose GDP every year because the brilliant ideas that reside on the south side of the tracks of every city in America never reach the marketplaces they don't believe they belong. There is a, a defined business case for in a city like Atlanta that has a population of north of 50% black people, we're still, we're the worst city in the country when it comes to income inequality. We're the worst city in the country when it comes to economic immobility. But I'm a firm believer that Atlanta still has the opportunity to be one of the most consequential cities of the next 100 years. We've got the community, we've got the culture, we've got the colleges, we've got the corporations here. And so in looking at what I could do and contribute to us fulfilling the fullness of our potential through the lens of entrepreneurship, through connecting entrepreneurs to access, to opportunity, to exposure, matching that ingenuity with opportunity is really my motivation. Atlanta becomes a better city universally when we're able to activate, weaponize, empower a demographic that has literally been underrepresented, underserved, and quite honestly, underperforming the potential that we have. I think, you know, bringing equity to the conversation, seeing Black businesses grow at somewhat of the same rate as other businesses in the metro Atlanta region, this city just lights on fire. And that's the kind of city that I want to live in personally. And so if you want to talk about personal motivations, for myself, my wife, my family, I have a two-year-old daughter. What am I doing right now to contribute to the type of city that I want to see her live in 
when she's starting to make decisions about her future. So you all just celebrated your first hundred rice stakeholders crossing the finish line and you celebrated in, in, in true fashion and form and celebrating their success. My question to you is, you know, those business owners that work with rice that are part of that rice family, those first hundred stakeholders, tell me why you call them stakeholders versus members as you would hear some other incubators or type of establishments such as yours do. Do you don't call them members, you call them um, stakeholders. Why is that? Yeah, and I, you know, and we don't graduate folks, but we, we were celebrating, you know, those that stuck with us and were with us when we first started. Really, this, this organization has not been doing it this long and our founding 100 are, are cherished because they believed when there was very little to even believe in. We call them stakeholders because our model is deeply rooted in community culture and covenant, creating a space of deep belonging, a safe space for entrepreneurs, and in this case, Black entrepreneurs, to fail and fly, show up as their authentic self, and a space that we coined the home for Black entrepreneurs. So in that space, you know, membership in most cases is elective. If I pay my money, I come and go as I please. But if I'm a stakeholder, a stakeholder means that there's a higher level of ownership, accountability, connectivity, and that's kind of how we run the culture that we want to develop at the Russell Center. And so even in our name, the Russell Innovation Center for Entrepreneurs, it used to be the Russell Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurship. We changed that. Why? Because at the heart of what makes this whole thing work is the entrepreneur. So we didn't want to build a space that was designed to teach innovation and entrepreneurship. We wanted to create a home that was designed to be a tool for the entrepreneur. What makes Rice different from other business incubators or accelerators? You know, one, we're the largest center of its kind in the world doing this for Black entrepreneurs. At 54,000 square feet, soon to be 75,000 square feet, we have the space to actually do more at scale than most other incubators or accelerators. We focus on the whole entrepreneur. We don't ignore the self-esteem, the self-confidence, the belief that one has to have, nor do we ignore the loneliness, the depression, the anxiety that goes along with any entrepreneurial journey. Our model isn't based on cohorts and we don't graduate out. We're on a continuum of engagement for the life cycle of a business because I believe one of the ways that where there's some inefficiencies built in the typical VC-backed organization, incubator, or accelerator is that if I'm teaching you in 18 weeks what you're doing at a million dollars in revenue, should you grow to the point of 20 million in revenue, what I taught you at a million isn't all that relevant. How can I continue to stay engaged? How can we continue to leverage the institution that is Rice to be a connected conduit to opportunities for these entrepreneurs and a community that they can always tap into? You know, our methodology, our, method, our theory of change around how you grow entrepreneurs, we're not a unicorn shop. Our goal is to help companies grow to this point where they're hiring employees that live in the communities that need the most hope that need the most stabilization? How do we look at closing those very damning statistics that I talked about before 
And that's through solidifying our economy with solid, sustainable Black-owned businesses in a city like Atlanta. Our mission is just a little bit different. And the way we go about our mission is a little bit different. Most platforms say if we got a thousand people apply, we're going to pick the best 50 and that's who we're going to go with. Our model is trying our best to invert that. Out of a thousand, our goal is to see how we can help 950 and, and look at creating this space at the very beginning of your journey, maybe when you only have an idea or when you're a growth stage company trying to go from 20 to 50 million, 50 to 100. Could you repeat for me again the square footage of the uh, facility? Yeah, as we sit today, it's 54,000 square feet. You know, in 18 months with our new capital campaign, once that's completed in our construction, we're going to add, you know, up to 74, 75,000 square feet. And that should be done by 2025. Thank you for that. So, you know, Many may know, many may not know that August was um, Black Business Month. I know Rice just wrapped up his Black Business Month campaign for August. And, you know, more than $70,000 in goods and services were purchased from Black businesses via the Riceway Challenge. You know, additionally, Black businesses were given the opportunity to vend at the, Black, the Rice Black Friday events. So... If you know, and I'm sure people have come up to you and said things, you know, what has been the response from the stakeholders that have been the benefactors of that and also the staff and the community members that surround Rice? Yeah, we walked the talk. I mean, those were isolated, you know, instances. And we tried to do more than just say celebrate Black business. Let's activate and hold each other accountable for making it more than just a slogan. Let's put our money where our mouth is and actually show where our impact is actually happening. But, you know, my word is fierce intentionality. When people visit the Russell Center, they know everything from the general contractor to our AV guy, the guy that installs the blinds, the guy that handles our plants, the snacks that we eat, the water that we drink, lots of the clothes that we wear, the watch I'm wearing right now. We spend more with black businesses than most Fortune 1000 companies. And it's with that fierce intentionality that we carry forward this model of we can be the solution to our own problems. In the past two and a half years, we spent over $20 million with Black organizations, many of them our stakeholders, to actually construct and develop and run the Russell Center. It's been in the news also that recently Rice was awarded $1 million grant from PayPal. You know, can you explain how that grant will further the mission of Rice and its stakeholders? Sure. We're going to be setting up our retail academy. Black businesses, we over-index in the consumer product space. We're creative. We're innovative. We're always solving problems and creating products to solve those problems. How can we best equip our entrepreneurs to be ready to go to market, be it from packaging to marketing to their business model? to understanding the nuances of mass retail or e-commerce or a boutique direct-to-consumer marketplace, all of the different intricacies that go into building a rock-solid retail operation that is, is geared and catered to your trajectory of success by bringing in the, some of the best resources in the world to help these companies be the very best product companies they can be. PayPal signed on recently. We hosted Dan Schulman, president and the CEO in the building, to help us fund 
and accelerate that retail academy coming to fruition. It'll start in January of next year. And what qualifies a retail establishment to be um, considered to receive funds from that um, endowment? No, it's not about funds from the endowment that they'll receive. The problem is not mostly funding. It is, again, how do you get the training? How do you understand if you're trying to get into Target and on Target shelves? It's not about how much money you have that's a, a grant or a donation. It's actually talking to the experts, the faculty that can help you understand your business model. How does your packaging look? Where do you fit on shelves? How many SKUs do you have? All the nuances that you may not otherwise know going into this blindly or coldly. And for Academy members, we, uh, we have a rubric. We have a, a rigor where companies have to be at a point of retail readiness before they're even considered for the academy. So there's work to be done in the preparation side of the equation. I think one of the greatest fallacies in the entrepreneurship space is all you need is a check to be successful. All you need is a grant to be successful. There's so many layers of preparation, readiness, structure, and foundation that must be securely in place uh, to absorb that capital and deploy that capital on a trajectory for success. So this is about standing up an academy that allows for, yes, some grants will happen, but this is building out the faculty, the programming, the curriculum, and the platform to help companies grow at scale in the retail space. Yeah, I think that is a great point. It also takes the ongoing support and the knowledge of how to run that business even after you get the funding. So that's a very good plan you have. There's an Atlanta-based venture capital firm that invests in women of color that was recently sued for racial discrimination by a conservative group. You know, what are your thoughts about this action and, and what are your plans to address such action should it come on your doorstep? Yeah, this is the hill that we have to die on. I think that, that this is the fight worth getting into. This is the opportunity where black women receive less than 0.6% of all venture capital. And to say that they have competitive advantage is laughable. But when you start to think of bringing diversity out of the out of the notion of it being a good thing or a discriminatory thing, but you bring it into the space of being a business model and the smart economic choice. If you ask companies, and this is the way that we approach it, if I go to Coca-Cola and you uh, extract all of their black and brown users of their product, they would not be sustainable. If you go to a number of companies, especially in urban markets, and you extract all of their black and brown purchasers, customers, clients, they would not be sustainable. So this isn't about charity. This is about good business. If we're looking at opportunities for companies to grow at scale, more revenue, more jobs, greater wealth, that helps the entire economy grow and move. And so in this case, diversity, especially in cities like Atlanta, that, that tide rises all boats, and it's just good business to look at fortifying a demographic that needs that fortification. Has there been any thought that has gone to how you will react or respond to such group that comes knocking on your door saying, hey, this is not fair? Yeah, I told you that, that literally, brother, this is the fight we must fight. And the, it's not fair is not a sound legal argument. When we're starting to talk about economic business cases, it's not exclusionary nor extractive. 
We're talking about a platform that is developed to grow the economy in the city of Atlanta. And that is where we stand, but also in the very same vein, in the space of defending the need for there to be safe spaces for underrepresented, underfunded, understructured, under-mentored, under-resourced communities to thrive. At that point, brother, that is the fight worth taking on. And we'll continue to fight that fight. We were black before George Floyd. This problem existed before George Floyd and it'll exist way after. And for organizations like ours, and we give all the support to the Fearless Fund, we must take a stand around how this is an important, necessary initiative and we start talking about the power of diversity, equity, and having an opportunity to thrive, that's an American thing. That has nothing to do with race. You know, the late H.J. Russell once stated that you must work hard, be honest, get a good education, give back to society, and love what you do to reach your goals. How do you feel you're living up to that charge? Nothing's changed about that. It's a simple equation. I think when you look at how we've grown from a simple organization four years ago with no money, no resources, no faculty, no staff, to now being at 360 entrepreneurs we support, approaching 40 people on our staff, touching 10,000 entrepreneurs annually, and over the past three years contributing over $450 million of new economic activity in the metro Atlanta region, you only get there by adhering to those kind of simple principles of how you actually get things done with intentionality and heart. And so, you know, our growth trajectory over these past three years, four years, even barring a global pandemic, uh, is a testament that we're living a lot of those values in real time. So my last couple of questions for you um, is going out to um, people who are starting new businesses and those who are in business and having trouble. Could you give me three tips that you can give both groups, those who are looking to start a new business and those who are struggling right now? What three things would you tell those two groups of um, entrepreneurs? Don't start alone and don't struggle alone. I think part of the magic of what we've done with the Russell Center is really center everything in community. I think oftentimes entrepreneurs and ideators and innovators we tend to buy into the myth that anybody can be a self-made man or a self-made woman, or, you know, you got to figure out your own problems. Um, we are, we are a communal people. And I think that collectively we're a hell of a lot stronger. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. It is finding your tribe. It is at being vulnerable enough and allowing yourself to be vulnerable enough to ask the question, to ask for help to seek others' counsel. And I think that's one of the things, if I have a first tier of insight, information, or just a word of advice, do not try this journey by yourself. For the sheer magnitude of work and, and definitely the difficulty of standing up a business that is sustainable, it is crushing when someone feels that they're out there alone. So the first thing, be it the Urban League, or any other organization in your area, through the power of Google, you can seek out these uh, resources. Almost every major city has an SBDC. Or if you're in Atlanta, places like the Russell Center, find your tribe 
and find a way to connect yourself to the access, the opportunity, the exposure, the resources, but most importantly, the community that you need to actually endure. Very good. Thank you for that. Any closing remarks? No, I mean, I think that, that we need entrepreneurs. Um, we need the people that are listening uh, to boldly follow their dreams, regardless of how hard it gets. Um, if you are successful, when you are successful, someone's whole life may be dependent upon you uh, making this dream happen. The job that you create may allow someone to buy their first home. The job you create may allow them to send their kid to school. The job that you create may create a pathway out of poverty for a family for generations and break that cycle. And so, you know, our economy is based on small business and the important role that each of these people play that call themselves entrepreneurs or small business owners or however you phrase yourself. It's what stands up our economy. And quite honestly, it makes our way of life real. We bring hope to communities. We bring stability to communities. And we create trajectories for those that follow behind us. So there's incredible importance on those people that dare to dream and make those dreams real. Everything depends on them making it happen. Well, that's a great way to end this. I appreciate your time. And thank you for joining Build Your Fort. Well, we appreciate it, brother. Deeply honored to be on. And best of luck in all your endeavors. Thank you so much.